Behind every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown. A behind-the-scenes look at new flavors and the chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders who create them with your host, Emmanuel. Imagine a place where you can listen to trendy chefs and bartenders sharing their secrets behind the scenes, where they are talking about their paths to success, where you can get tricks from the kitchen or from behind the bar. In fact, you can get it all here on my podcast, Flavors Unknown. I am your host, Emmanuel Roche. Thank you very much for listening today. Every other week, I interview chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders to discover their secrets behind the scenes. Today is episode number 14. And as usual, you can find the show notes at flavorsunknown.com. Click on the episode page. Today is a special episode. I was lucky to go to Hawaii at the end of last year. And I really love Kauai. The Napoli coast, the Waimea Canyon, the waterfalls are magical. But what about the food? As usual, when I go on a trip, I plan my food and my drink tasting in advance. Identify several restaurants that I was interested in in Kauai and especially in the town of Kapa at the east side of the island. It's the restaurant JO2. I had really a great experience there. And I was pleased to meet the chef Jean-Marie Josselin. Yes, I know he's French. And I had a great discussion at the end of the dinner with him. And I have asked him if he would be a guest on Flavors Unknown. Jean-Marie Josselin is a renowned chef. And he was one of the pioneers of the Hawaiian regional cuisine. He was born in France. He had lived more than 30 years in Hawaii. And he has been nominated several times by the James Beer Foundation. Hi, Chef, and welcome to uh, Flavors Unknown. Uh, I'm really pleased to have you on the show since I met you in uh, Kauai, in, in um, Hawaii. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you, Emmanuel. It was a pleasure to meet you there. <laughs> it was a great dinner. I have a first question for you, uh, Chef. How would you describe uh, your job in 10 words? Oh, the best thing I ever did in my life was, uh, when, you know, that's, cooking is my life. That's mm-hmm. about it, <laughs> you know. That's about it's a it. Passion. It's it's a it's yeah. a passion, you know. I I just still enjoy it, you know. Thirty, forty years after I started cooking, you know. Well, you know the the funny thing when I started cooking, I was not that great at it, you know. But I I just uh, I just want to try to improve and improve and improve. And uh, when I finally found a chef, give his time to teach me and trust me. Then I started to fly. And that's something that uh, I always remember now, you know, when, uh, when I have young kids, you know, that comes to my kitchen, I try to march on them to become very good chefs and try to uh, become leaders. And sometimes this is all it takes because now it's very interesting, you know, with the new generation is, you know, with the TV and uh, everything that is available to them, a lot of them don't realize that it takes uh, really a long time to become a chef. You see a lot of guys now, what they do is, uh, you know, they're very good for about a year and that's about it. And one of the reasons is because they don't have enough depth. So yeah, they're very creative and, but they, they cannot fall back on what they know, what they have learned for years. That's uh, one of the biggest difference that I see uh, uh, now and before. When I finally find somebody that trusted me, 
and uh, really took the time to teach me. You know, I started to fly and I become, uh, that's where I decided that that was really the line I wanted to go, becoming a chef, starting to look at other cuisine and, and really wanted to be what I am today. Talking about the, the new generation, uh, like, do you think that they have a, a wrong, um, let's say, image of what the job of um, a chef is? Because they are influenced by what they see on TV and with all those chef competition and, uh, and this is not exactly the reality. I think the new generation is very talented too. You know, I don't think there's a gap there. The gap is that they look at the, the profession being very, uh, plush, very, uh, it's easy. You know, it's like you go and put dishes and people are going to love what you do, you know, but it's, it's far to be the, the truth. You know, the truth is that you work 12 hours a day, you work when everybody's off and uh, it's tough work, you know. So a lot of people go into this job thinking, oh, I'm going to become this, I'm going to become that. But they forget how hard it is to get to, to that point. At the end of the day, it's commitment and it's love for the work, you know, for the, for the job. And if you don't have that, then you cannot succeed in this business. This business is all about grinding and, uh, and be there every day and uh, be willing to always learn from a different cuisine. When I learned in France, it's all about French cooking and rooted in very, very uh, deep history. You know, we, uh, in France, we're very proud of what we do in, in a kitchen and, uh, and we, uh, we have a partnership. We have a system that teach young, you know, and then you go from places to places and then you become a chef. But it takes years, you know, to get to that point. It's very difficult. It's almost like in Japan, uh, where it, it is very difficult to, to go up. But difficulty is great because you really become good. But here in America, it's like, uh, you know, there's no system like this. If you don't understand that you have to spend, you know, a couple of years with really good chefs, you know, to learn your basics, your technique, then it's very difficult to move up. And some guys are very, very gifted, you know, so it's okay for, for them, but you know, like for a year and two, you know, it's always funny. Sometimes you see restaurants that are doing so well for like for a year or two and then they disappear. And like in Europe, you don't see that, you know, some of the restaurants have been there for years and they establish and, and the tradition continues and continues, you know. So that's one of the biggest things. You know, I've been in this country for almost 40 years now. And I see, you know, like uh, the changes from 40 years ago to now, it's unbelievable. You know, this country has, has become now this fantastic restaurant. So I think, I think the, the young kids now have uh, a lot of talent, but I think, you know, it's the system that sometimes I feel is broken here, you know, is not helping the young generation because a lot of them now, you know, they, they're not attracted to how difficult it is. You know, they, they want, they want to become chefs within a year or two. And that's, uh, I think that's really wrong. It takes times to get there. So if you could um, send a message to yourself, like uh, 34 years ago, what would you tell the younger Jean-Marie Jocelyn? The funny thing about this question is, uh, I think, you know, in our business, things change so quickly. I think it's every five years or so, you know, the trend change, there's uh, new ideas. The thing that uh, everybody should remember is to, to really stay open-minded and really not be afraid to try different cuisine and, uh, and establish a library of ideas where you can build up new ideas, new dishes, and keep your, your mind being creative. I think that's my, uh, 
my biggest thing, you know, like, like in Europe, you know, especially in France, and I don't know how it is now because I didn't work there for very long. You know, like in France, it's so rooted in tradition that sometimes it's difficult for a young chef to get out of that, you know. But now uh, cuisine, the, the cooking are becoming uh, worldly. That's the beauty of our business is always changing. JO2 is the name of your restaurant that you opened in 2014 on the island of uh, Kauai. And this is a, a place that uh, you said that, you, you know, you dreamed uh, uh, for a long time. So can you explain to us what JO2 is about? It's really a restaurant that I wanted to evolve. JO2 is called also natural cuisine. Really, when I started the JO2, my idea was to create a vegetarian restaurant. And slowly by slowly, I have been introducing more and more vegetable dishes. At the end of the day, when I'm finished with JO2, I want the restaurant to be completely vegetarian. I think that's really the future of uh, cooking. You know, for example, uh, like in Hawaii, we're starting to have a hard time to find fish now. You know, it's it's still there, but I think in 10 years from now, I think uh, the prices are going to be so high for fish and meat. It only makes sense that you have more and more vegetable dishes. If I go and look at a vegetarian restaurant, I'm really not impressed. You know, it's always the same thing. You know, there's always, uh, it's very boring and uh, it's usually uh, something that people don't really understand. So I think that's the biggest problem of our customer when they when they go to a restaurant and they see they would like to try vegetables, but nothing is really appealing to them. So they, they fall back onto meat, onto uh, fish, onto things that uh, they understand. And so for us, you know, we have, we have about 30 items on our menu and 50% is vegetarian. And all the protein dish, you know, like if we have fish or meat, it's always in that dish, a very important component is the vegetables. Very funny because when we start three years ago at, uh, at JO2, very little people are doing vegetable. And now it's probably about 70% of our sales. So there's a, an education that I wanted to do because a few years back, you know, when I first opened JO2, I say, oh, you know, I want to do, uh, I want to do my own cheese. There's a couple of dishes that I wanted to do with my cheese. And uh, so the first thing that I was looking at is try to get milk. On the island of Kauai, nobody sells milk because first of all, you cannot sell it. There's some kind of law that uh, you cannot sell it. So you have to go to a supermarket and buy milk. But, uh, you know, the milk is not really uh, good to do cheese. You know, it's very inconsistent. So I was looking online where to buy milk and I was looking. And then one day I, I see these links that there is an Hindu temple. There is a, a swami that was doing cheese. And so I open it and I see, I see this big Hindu swami. You know, it was like a, uh, the guy is like six four. you know, and uh, you have this big wheel of cheese. And so I say, oh, you know, so I called uh, call the Hindu temple and it took, it took a few steps, you know, uh, to finally meet him. When I met him, it was like uh, meeting a brother that I lost for four years. You know, we become very, very good friend. <laughs> we become very good friend right away. So he said, oh, you know, uh, I, I know of you, your chef and stuff like that. We're starting to talk and he said, one of the things that the Hindu do is like they refuse to serve meat or fish. They're completely vegetarian at the, at the Hindu temple. And so he, he brought me to, his, to the garden that they have because what they do, they, they're about 25 monks 
in the temple, they do all their vegetables. As we talk, he told me that, you know, how bad it is to really kill animals, you know, to eat and stuff like that, you know. I mean, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but I was really like, wow, you know, this is really what the food should be in a few years. Because I think with all the disease that we have, all the cancer, all the things, eating really good vegetable can only be good for you. And I really believe that one day chefs are going to be almost like doctors, you know, we are going to have to provide food to people that are nutritious interesting so people can go to a restaurant and eat vegetable like they eat meat so you know for me i'm like uh, i'm really starting to pound my head you know it's like how can i evolve into a vegetarian restaurant or a restaurant that serves much more vegetable without killing my business because you know I'm, i still have to survive i still uh you know if people don't want a, a vegetarian how can i mix the two and start building a clientele that one day I can become just a vegetarian restaurant. You were talking before about that it is important to educate, you know, your customers. So how do you do that? How do you talk to them about almost this like mission that you are talking about from like the chef, you know, in the future, really um, focusing on, um, you know, the consumer health? After I met with the Swami, my first thing was, you know, I've been on this island for a very long time. And one of the, one of the biggest thing, you know, for the last 15, 20 years, it, it was to work with farmers, try to bring Hawaii up to the main non-standard, you know, and have a very good farmers to work with. You know, at one point I have a lot of restaurants. I have a six or seven restaurants. And then when I sold everything, I decided to go on a trip. And when I came back two or three years later and I decided to open a, another restaurant, there's not much changes that happen in Hawaii. And it almost felt like, you know, the, the Hawaii original cuisine, the movement that we started like 20 years ago stopped and really the progress that we made stopped and there was nothing else. So my first step was to meet with farmers and I met with some very young farmers. You know, I, I did all the farmers market on Kauai and every time I see a new guy, I approached him, I invite him at the restaurant. I started to build a network of farmers that wanted to work with me to try new vegetables. And it is a challenge because Kowa is, a, you know, you think you put a carrot in the ground, it's going to grow, but there's a lot of pests. There's a lot of uh, weather changing. So, you know, it could be uh, 90 degrees one day and it can rain for two weeks after that. So there's a lot of challenges. The farmer network that I put together were willing to work with me. So what I did is I bought seeds. I bought a lot of seeds. We work with the uni University of Hawaii too because, you know, they, they have a lot of seeds that are made to grow just in tropical part of the country. Slowly by slowly, we, we're starting to build a garden, a market that I could draw from and buy from. And, you know, suddenly I have cavallon melon, I have eight different type of carrots, I have 36 different type of tomatoes, but it took a couple of years to do that. And when I did GO2, I know that it was going to take a while. So GO2 was just an evolution from protein run restaurant to slowly by slowly getting into a vegetarian restaurant. That was my vision 10 years ago. Yeah, five years ago, six years ago. So I say, you know, when I finish cooking, I will be, I would take everything out, all the fish, all the meat, and we draw everything from the farmers. 
Okay, so and and you are celebrating the you know said vegetables in novel ways you know in your menu. Can you give us some example of new ways that you are preparing vegetable in your uh, restaurant? For example, we have a squash that uh, that we do, and the squash is so tender. It's a long green squash. What we do is we do it, we slice it. We don't even cook it because you have to realize that Kauai is not like uh, New York or Boston or Los Angeles. You know, everything that we, we get to the restaurant is grown within 15, 20 minutes of the restaurant. So when we have a squash, the guy snap it from the vine and bring it in the morning. We're only 15 minutes away. When we slice the squash, it's completely tender. It's completely juicy. It's full of vitamin, full of uh, nutrient. And then also one day I was at the farm. I went to see a, a cacao farm, you know, where we do the, some of the chocolate on Kauai. It just happened that uh, when they let the cacao mature, there's a liquid that comes out. And that liquid is actually like an alcohol. So if you ferment the, the liquid for, uh, on the first day, it doesn't taste like nothing. But after five days, it tastes like alcohol. So what we do, we do like a shave ice with it. The squash, we serve it with a, a little bit of uh, honey that we, we have growing on Kauai, put a little bit of mustard grain, and then we do the, we put the shave ice on the, on the squash. When I put this on the menu, it was amazing how many, how many we sold. People eat this and they think about the creation behind the dish and they think about how fresh it is and how good it tastes. They never ask about meat or fish. At the end of the day, it's, how we put it together and with the creative ways that we do it, people know now. So they're not afraid, you know, like we do a sugar pea, for example. And we serve that with uh, fermented Chinese black beans and uh, coconut and Thai basil. You know, when you eat this, it's very nutritive and it's also filling. And that's another thing that people always say, say, oh, you know, I'm afraid if I, uh, if I have vegetarian food, I'm never going to... Uh, be full, you know, but no, you can be very full, especially when it's fresh, when there's a lot of nutrients and uh, you can get full very quickly. You think that's uh, switching to 100% like a vegetarian menu, you are going maybe to lose some uh, of your customers or maybe some tourists that are coming to the island? You know, that was kind of my fear at first, but it's becoming less and less of a fear because like I said, it's, it's around 70% of our sales now. I think it's going to be another couple of years before I get there, but I think I will get there. And, you know, it's, it's always a challenge because here on Kauai, you know, the price of the land is so expensive that some of the farmers, you know, uh, some of the people that are selected first are now gone. They, they moved to the mainland because it's cheaper to do, uh, to do their farming there. It's very expensive in a way. Everything is, uh, you know, the land is whatever you have, it's what you have, you know, so all the challenge of finding the right people to cultivate your, what you need, it's not always easy. I think it's much easier on the mainland. So everything is multiplied by two here. You have to accept the challenge and force your way through, you know. I'm very proud of what we did, you know, in the, the last three, four years, you know. And this uh, challenge of uh, this growing vegetable, is it something only related to Kauai or it's true for all the other islands, you know, in Hawaii? I think uh, there's islands that are better, like the, the big island is good. Maui is also good. I think Kauai, we, we saw isolated, you know, with the last island of the chain. We have, uh, you know, there's a month, I, I forgot, it was like three or four years ago, we have 40 days of rain. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, when you're a farmer and you have to deal with things like this, 
And we lose, when you lose crops after crops, you know, like for example, uh, we have the Cavaillon Melon, you know, it was absolutely fantastic. When my farmer came in with it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best cantaloupe I ever have. So we sell them at the restaurant, you know, we, uh, we sell them by the ton, you know, I mean, it was unbelievable. And so the season finished and uh, I say, you know, we save the seed. The year later, we starting to grow the melon comes almost to uh, perfect. And there's uh, like a mold that came in and destroy everything. And since then, we are, we are not able to grow the melon again. <laughs> it's like crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you know, like the tomatoes, for example, you think it's easy, but there's uh, the fruit fly here. So, so what they do is the fruit fly attack the, the, the flower of the tomato and then you don't have the tomato. And, you know, I asked them to do everything organically and as natural as possible because I want to be able to say at the restaurant is organic. That's it. There's no question. With the rise of uh, allergies now, you know, people are allergic to this, allergic to that. They cannot eat this. They cannot eat that. No wheat, no this. I think it's very important to come up with a food and a cuisine that is capable to accommodate everybody without any question. So what I want is my customer, when they come in, they say, oh, I, I cannot have this. We, we get you covered. I can have gluten. All this is done without gluten. So... For example, we came up with a, a tempura batter that is uh, gluten-free. So, you know, when people come in, they say, oh, I cannot do that because it's tempura. And I say, no, you can have it because, you know, we do ours with rice flour. And oh, so right away, people are like, oh, oh, oh you, it can be done. With the farming, it's, you know, I really want everything to be as natural as possible. So, and that's the goal, again, is to come up with a food and a cuisine that uh, would be the matrix for the new chef to come in and, and say, oh, you know, uh, we can do that too as well. I'm curious, uh, Chef, you know, you said that several years back you had, you know, one time you had up to six restaurants on different, you know, highland in Hawaii. You even have a, a restaurant in Vegas, you know, so personal reason you, you sold them and you traveled. And I, I, I want to go back to your travel later. But my question is, when you come back, because you had these experiences like from the different islands. Why did you choose to, to come back to Kauai to, uh, to reopen a restaurant with all the difficulties that you are describing now? Well, I, I like Kauai. You know, it's a, you know, it's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a beautiful island. A great people. I've been there for 30 something years, you know, so it feels like home. It smells like home. And I have all my friends and I absolutely love the community. You know, we have a great Japanese Asian community with, uh, you know, so it's, it's just a fantastic island to live in. So I decided to come back and, and do something here special because people are always have supported me, you know, for years here. You know, I feel very comfortable here. So can you describe your, your creative process? So when? How do you start, you know, when you are, you have to create uh, like um, a full menu or if you have to create like a new dish, what is your starting point? I always do uh, dishes by dishes, you know, and I usually it's driven by what the farmers are bringing anyway. What we do is we meet and we talk about three, four months from now, you know, so let's try new seed. I would like to cook with this, do this, do that. And so we get the seeds and we plant the seed and you know, if I decide to go with 10 seeds, sometimes uh, I only have like two that come to 
to reality come to the come to the kitchen. So you really have to think about, you know, what is it that you want to do in three or four months from now? And then, you know, I go from there. I decide, you know, if you should have uh, some Indian spice or be more Asian or maybe a little bit more European or whatever, you know, but it always starts from the farm, you know, with our conversation with the farmers. So some of your inspiration comes, I guess, from the travels that you have done. Because after that, you sold, um, you know, all the restaurant and you went into like a, a travel, like for about two years, correct? In Europe, in Asia. Where did you go and anything that uh, inspired you and what country had the most impact, you know, on you and your inspiration? The first country that really, I think, always inspired me is Japan. You know, I think they are, you know, like what, what, what I tried to do with the farmers and stuff like that, it's something that they have done for, for years, you know, and they, they respect their purveyors, they respect the farmers, they understand that there's a, a seasons, things work for certain reason. And then when I went to China, I was completely, it was unbelievable is the amount of, uh, you take an eggplant, for example, well, the Chinese can do 600 preparation of eggplant. I couldn't believe it. Wow. You know? really? uh, yeah, it's like, it's unbelievable, you know, and their creation with dim sum, thought that was a really genial idea, you know, as to the bite size where you can have uh, two or three bites and then move on to something else, you know, the speed that they work with, you know, and uh, the way they prepare their dishes. Japan is definitely a clean taste. You know, the food is always perfect. In China, is uh, the speed, the creativity of what they do. It's, it's unbelievable. So that's, in Asia, that's probably the country that attracted uh, me the most. And then in South America, it's probably Peru. My God, what a country. Their food, also the system that they have. You know, they have a, a great aqua farm. They do a lot of uh, fish raise in farms which is, I think, it's also the future of uh, our industry. So those countries inspired you, but uh, I think that's one of your first major influence on your cuisine is uh, from your family, correct? It's your grandmother oh, yeah. back in France. Yeah. So can you uh, yeah. elaborate? Can you talk um, to us a little bit about it? And where are you, uh, in fact, from France? Uh, Chamonix, correct? Yeah, but my grandmother from, from uh, Dijon. Okay. The Bourgogne region, and uh, you know, of course, it's a it's a wonderful region for great food. food but she, great food in Burgundy, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, great food, and a great wine too. And uh, Grandma was uh, unbelievable in her cooking, you know. And she, uh, it was her own cooking, but you know, just thinking about it, you know, I still remembering the flavor. Uh, my grandma always we go to the market. My grandfather was actually, uh, you know, after the war. Uh, he was in charge of uh, rebuilding the the food system in France. He was a great part of uh, Leal, you know, at the turn of the century, I think on, uh, I think it was like in 1930, or, uh, I, I might be wrong in a date, but what his job was, it was to uh, really uh, deal with all the farmers and bring all the food to Paris, to the center of Paris, where there was a market called Leal. That's where all the restaurants, all the hotels, all the shops, used to come and buy their vegetables. And uh, he did that for years. Every time he come back from work, we always have the best lettuce, the best strawberries, the best. It was unbelievable, you know? And uh, I thought that food was always like this. You know, when I grew up, it was, uh, it was, uh, I always remember him going up the stairs with his little suitcase, you know, like, uh, and he have always have a couple of salad or, a couple, you know, some carrots. And 
was unbelievable, you know. And uh, that's probably where you you started to develop your love for uh, those uh, fresh produce. Yeah, you know, like uh, my senses. You know, it's like uh, you know, you know what a carrot should taste like. You know what a salad should taste like. And there's a big difference, you know, like when you go to a fast food restaurant, you know, they don't use the same quality salad that we use. If you grow up eating fast food, you know, this is what you think food should taste like, you know, but for us, it was really different because the food was always wholesome and uh, it was always great. Thinking about uh, today and uh, and your restaurant, so what uh, ingredients are irreplaceable to you? I think I love kefir lime. I love lemongrass. Those items uh, have a tendency. I love coconut milk. <laughs> you know, like for example, we do a, a lobster bisque. So you think lobster bisque is uh, being something with uh, flour or butter or stuff like that, you know, to thicken up. But what we do, for example, is like uh, we we have a ratio. We use, uh, we do the lobster stock and we do with the coconut milk, with the fresh coconut milk. We reduce that together and it's like eating a bisque that have flour and cream, but there's absolutely, it's creamless and there's absolutely no gluten in it. Always people tell me, how do you do that? You know, and uh, there's no way there's no cream in it, but no, there's no cream, you know. So we, we do a lot of research like that, you know, that's the beauty of, uh, of coconut milk. And a lot of people think it's bad for you, you know, like there's a lot of fat, but when it's fresh, it's fantastic. I'm curious as well, what unfamiliar ingredients are finding the way into your menu? Mostly, you know, what I'm working on right now a lot is uh, Indian uh, spices. I think that's a country that is nobody use spices like, like they do, you know, and uh, just incredible, you know. So I use a lot of uh, garam masala, some, uh, you know, I used to never use cumin, but I use cumin now a lot in my dishes, you know. Uh, all the mustard seed, uh, so a lot of uh, Indian spice, really. Do you have the chance to go there uh, during your trips in uh, in Asia? Yes, I went there. It's uh, also, uh, I think they are the food that is going to come up the next few years because it's, again, it's a lot of uh, vegetable-based uh, recipe. You know, people are very, a little bit unfamiliar with uh, Indian food, but, you know, they have fantastic bread. They have really, really good dishes. So, Chef, it's been um, already on more than 30 minutes that we are talking uh, together. Oh, wow. uh, it's great, but I have, um, you know, I want to uh, finish the um, uh, the interview with a series of rapid-fire questions for you. So, where do you eat on uh, Kauai where you are not working or not at home? I eat at home, uh, mostly. I don't really go out, but uh, there's a restaurant called the Japanese Brahma in a small town called Hanapepe. And there's a Japanese chef that is really, really good. And it's uh, really a fantastic little restaurant. What is the best piece of uh, chef advice you ever received? Uh, work hard. <laughs> work hard. <laughs> what condiments do you always have in your fridge? My fridge, uh, miso. What cookbook have you read more than five times? I think it's actually Alain Chapelle, French chef. Oh, fantastic French chef. I read this book a lot. There's some very good ideas on, on natural cuisine too. And this is like my last question here that I always wanted to ask uh, a chef. i never done it before, but uh, what do you think about the restaurant critics? Oh, I think it's, uh, it's good and bad. I think, uh, you know, it's like the critic in general, you know, sometimes people ask me, you know, uh, what do you think about 
TripAdvisor or Yelp and stuff like that. I think at, at the end of the day, it gives you a sense, you know, the good, the bad. At the end of the day, it gives you a sense of what's happening you know, in your restaurant. You know, sometimes it's good too, you know, sometimes people have very good points. Sometimes it's as stupid as you can be, you know, but uh, uh, for, <laughs> for me, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, it's like, you know, already seriously. And sometimes, you know, people people make a good point, you know, so I, I look at it this way, you know, I, I don't really, uh, it's not good or bad for me, it's just another... Uh, Do you read the, the critics that are on Yelp or, you know, other uh, sites, you know, about GO2? Some, you know, you know, some don't make sense, you know, some, uh, you can tell, uh, you know, because, you know, the, the food that we do is not a food that you can find everywhere, you know, so I understand that, you know, like we talked at the beginning, you know, some people are going to like it and some people are not going to like it. If I have 95% of the people that come in and like it, that's fine. But a critic is also, you know, sometimes the people that like it don't write, don't write review and the people that don't like it write review and vice versa. So what's happened is that, you know, uh, at the end of the day, it works out. You know, you have the good and the bad and uh, you just have to accept it and that's it. You know? Thank you very much, uh, Chef, uh, for uh, being a guest on Flavors Unknown. I appreciate your, your time and waking up early in, uh, how, you know, in Kauai <laughs> to be on, uh, on the show. And definitely this is uh, the place, uh, GO2, that I will come back to uh, next time I am uh, on the island. Oh, thank you, Emmanuel. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. No worries if you were not able to write down some information that our guest was talking about, because you can find all of those in the episode show note on flavorsunknown.com. And if you are enjoying the show, please leave a review or a rating as it helps other people to find it as well. If you have friends that are foodies, please send this podcast their way as I am always happy to have more people listening. I see you in two weeks. And until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. You've just enjoyed another delicious episode of Flavors Unknown. Hungry for more? Hit subscribe. Tell us where you're listening from by leaving a review. And for social media and show notes, head to flavorsunknown.com.